Hi everyone, welcome to To Be An Artist. Today I'm here with Christian Pryor, who is a pianist and vocalist. Hi Christian. Hello. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, we have worked together like a few times. Yeah. Um, just played, you know, tap dance, piano stuff, music, yeah. but do a lot more. Um, I found out only when I subscribed to your YouTube channel that you're also a vocalist. Yeah. That's right. I remember your comment on the YouTube. I know. I was, yeah. I didn't expect that. I thought I'm going to sign up, like, you know, get some piano music, <laughs> like you writing your compositions. And the first thing I saw is you singing. I was so not ready for that. Um, have it was you a surprise. Eh? Yeah, it was a surprise. And yeah. it, the problem was that you were actually good at it because I could have gotten <clears> off <throat> much faster. <laughs> you would have been really crap. I'm like, oh, that's why you never mentioned it. But it was <laughs> Have you always sung? Um, yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, I, I did a lot of singing. I guess I started when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, writing songs and singing with a guitar, you know, kind of like teenage love song kind of stuff. Uh, that's when I started. And then at school, I did, you know, like the school musicals. And uh, I joined the choir when I was in sit form. So like 17, 18 years old, I sang in a choir for a couple of years. And um, yeah, so I, I started singing then. I kind of stopped doing it when I got to London and went to uni. Um, I don't know, I went through this weird phase where I was like, I felt like it wasn't serious. I was studying like classical music and, and uh, doing composition. Yeah, yeah, and I was just like, no singing is not for me I am a composer now you know <laughs> and then I don't know why that was I was just like you know I don't know why I had that opinion so I didn't do it for a while uh, and then started again in like my early 20s so I've been doing it quite a lot um and uh, yeah I like sing obviously my own stuff like I've got on my YouTube channel you've got the, the original music that I have and I also sing for a couple of other projects as well, like singing like jazz and blues and stuff like that too. Mm -hmm. But I guess I also do loads of work just as a piano player, and that's how we've met, just through yeah, playing piano. That's how so, I know you. Yeah. Um, I so always... I guess I guess I just never mentioned it. No, you, ne you didn't. It was like you were hiding it. <laughs> oh no, it's not. I mean, I'm not hiding it. I just, I guess, I just don't feel the need to say what I I do unless somebody asks. Maybe I don't know yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah that's cool like if like if, if, you, if we were chatting after the you came to the jam at the Ephra and i was yeah. playing piano and we were chatting and i was like by the way did you know i also sing i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to do that in a way that's like appropriate you know so yeah it, it just didn't come up but maybe that's to my detriment maybe i should be a bit more yeah i mean vocal about it there, there's, i guess there's like different opinions about it um yeah because I guess it would be a bit obnoxious if you run around and and that reminds me of a guy that one time I did this project and there was a guy and it was like a multimedia project and there was this guy who kept on talking about him being a producer. Oh, and yeah, great. He said he talked so much and I'm like, how do you even get your drum machine plugged in because by the end, <laughs> you know, like talking, you do it's like there's no time left in the studio. So, <laughs> I guess I prefer your version of just, you know, letting me Yeah. Know, but. Well, it's true. Like, I mean, I guess because this is a podcast and I'm supposed to say what I do, like, 
I also do production stuff as well. Yeah. And and I find it always funny when somebody says they're a producer because it could mean so many different things, right? Yes. Yeah. Some people who are producers are kind of like writing all the music, you know, which is that's the sort of stuff I'm doing at the moment. I'm actually producing a tune at the moment where I'm just I'm kind of like kind of like writing all of the music and the arrangement for a singer, you know. Mm-hmm. And then there's other producers. Like that that's kind of like the common term now, isn't it? Like producer means. Yeah, but everybody claims to be a producer and I never really I know. know what falls under that umbrella. Yeah, because some people just sit in a room and they're like, yeah, that sounds good. And that's the producer's role. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've learned that the people who keep on saying that they're producers are not big in business. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably that's probably accurate, actually. <laughs> like it's, it's different in dance though because if i think of a producer i would think of more like a pro- project manager kind of role like somebody that yeah. funding applications and yeah almost like a yeah like a project manager so uh, but you what you're doing right now is more kind of like arrangements and, and mm. compositions and stuff so it's, it's different it is it, it also has that element of project management in it as well i guess because like i'm also booking the musicians who are going to play, you know, and I'm doing the admin side of that and booking a recording studio if that needs to be done. So I guess I'm doing some project managing as well, but it's also like, it's kind of like, I guess in dance, it would be like the choreographer. Mm-hmm. Although it's it's it, it's different as well, isn't it? Because the song, the lyrics and the melody has already been written by the artist who I'm producing for. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it just, they don't quite fit together, do they? But, but that, but there is there is definitely some similarities between the two fields, like for sure. I guess it's like a, being a director in theatre in a way, isn't it? Ah, okay. A director yeah. and producer at the same time, sort of. But it is a it is like a, a vague term. In fact, okay. a friend of mine who runs a podcast um, called Christopher Carvalho. It's another good podcast called Unlock Your Sound. Bit of a shout out to him. They had a whole. I think they did a whole pod- podcast on like what even is a producer, something like that, which was quite entertaining. I'll send it to you. I don't really have a clue either. You know, I think when I say I'm a producer, I think I'm right, but I don't know. I mean, it's true because anything is a producer like nowadays. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's true. Um, how does one get started as a producer? Good question. Um, so I guess I get, I got started through uh, making my own stuff first. Mm-hmm. And then uh, through making my own music and putting it out there. Um, sort of showing what I can do, you know, as if it's just me. Uh, And then also working with other people uh, who, like, for example, the first track that I produced was with a singer who I, I'm already the piano player in her band. She's called Old Jai Bayer. She's a a Kurdish singer. And I play piano in her project, which is really, really fun. And she had listened to the music that I'd made for myself and was like, oh, I'd really love to collaborate with you. Could you produce, you know, like co-produce and arrange this track? So I did that with her. And then from there, you know, started to get some other things as well. Um, you can sort of put yourself out there and be like, I am a producer, but like we've already established, I don't, I haven't, I don't do that. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe I should do more, but I don't know. I feel like it kind of like your work can speak for itself and it gets out there and then people come to you and, that's been my approach to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I guess whatever you put out there, it attracts back to you. 
So I, I have so. made the experience that if you put your work out there, people come back. Yeah. Hey, you did this, this, this. Can I have a piece of the cake? <laughs> I was, it. I think so. I was just picturing you uh, doing a TikTok video of like the producer's song. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wanna be a producer. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like. Um... No, from like uh, what's it called? Oh, the the, the musical. Yeah, I could do that. That would be good. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have TikTok or I have seen it. I'm on the, I'm on the verge. Like part of me tells me it's the biggest social media right now. And yeah. maybe you can get some traction, but at the same time, I'm like, it's not really my vibe. Like, I feel like I'm a little too old to kind of get that excited about it. And maybe I should just focus on something that I'm actually excited about. Cause then I keep going, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I guess it's like, are you able to create a content that feels authentic to you that can go on that platform and use because really like all all any social media is, is just a marketing platform. You know, that's how I think we have to see it as artists like it is a net that you're throwing out there to try and get people who might discover you, you know, they might see a five second or however long they are like TikTok video be like, oh, this is that's really cool. I'll watch another one. And then they go, oh, this person has a so music on Spotify, you know, and it's a way of getting people into your, or, you know, for you, like they'll come and they might listen to your podcast and then go and see one of your live performances. But obviously like it takes a long time to get there, but <clears throat> I guess I, I would say with TikTok, if it feels like you could do stuff that is authentic and you enjoy, it doesn't matter about your age, I don't think. Yeah. There's yeah. plenty of old people doing TikTok videos, I, I would imagine, you know like yeah, i don't know this is coming from somebody who doesn't look at tiktok but i just think I that, that's how it works with all social media i think right like yeah so uh what's your online platform of choice to promote yourself uh it's instagram yeah. yeah or well i guess now it's like instagram and i also want it to be youtube too mm -hmm. like i'm starting to put things on my youtube channels gradually um so so i guess like for me i have the podcast that i do as well um, and that's, I try to make that video too, so I can have that on podcast platforms, but then also on YouTube and you can get a lot of video stuff from that. And I'm also putting all my music up onto YouTube, but then also all of that stuff can go onto Instagram too. So I kind of see all of those things, the YouTube podcast and Instagram all is working together. It's just a kind of, you know, it's something I really enjoy, but it's also like kind of marketing to try and get people to listen to my podcast and then check out other things I'm doing too, you know? Yeah. So um, while we're talking about it, what's your podcast yeah. called and what oh, is it called? And what's it about? It's called the, the Christian prior podcast. And the tagline is uh, conversations on the creative process. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I've had some, I've done four episodes so far. I'm about to release another set of episodes soon. Um, and I've had, different artists uh, on uh, or people related to the arts world talking about different aspects, you know, so that there has been some stuff on the creative process. And there's also been some things on like marketing as well. Like, for example, the last episode I put out was with that guy that I mentioned, Christopher Carvalho, who is he's a music like marketing uh, expert. And he, he does he has a blog. Uh, he has his own consulting business. Um, he's a really good guy and he, he like basically his whole his whole goal is to help independent artists develop their own um, 
marketing system online you know so his his, his goal is to get people to uh be self-sufficient which is a really nice thing uh, so i had him on talking about uh, a lot of ideas around social media marketing for artists and stuff like that so that yeah. was my last episode and then the episode before that i had a filmmaker called nick gavin uh who has made some music videos uh, for, for some of my songs. And he also makes a lot of music videos for, for other musicians. So we talked a lot about that, the process of making music videos and, and his, his sort of unique takes on things. He's, he's got this amazing way of using uh, effects through uh, on film that, that just create this like not 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 visual effects like cgi but actual like like for example one of my music videos he shot the entire thing through a fish tank so it's got this like watery effect and it he has this cool ink kind of spurting into the fish tank you'll have to go to my youtube to check it out it's called give give me strength and then he also did the video to why should i care both of them are really really cool that mm -hmm. why should i care one has like swirling ink and all this stuff so um, so he, he came on and then I had two musicians as well, Alex Hitchcock and Midori Jaeger. And we were just talking about their process. So it's, it's quite varied, but it's all music focused stuff. Yeah. And I, yeah. I listened to those two, um, the first two. Oh, great. I, yeah. didn't I didn't get notified for the other two, but I think sometimes Apple podcasts oh, right. can be really, like I've subscribed to a lot of podcasts. Yes. I feel like there's not a nice system to kind of line up all the podcasts nicely they just like there like it's no i think i think you're right yeah so i haven't um i don't have spotify though my podcast is now because this is the second season yes um, well i called it the second season because i had 15 podcast episodes out and then nothing for like four months so i'm like <laughs> all right to just randomly release like another little yeah. episode which is not yeah, very much yeah. action so i was like okay season two <laughs> yeah i think that's a good way to do it isn't it yeah i mean it's also like you know it's decent if you do like three seasons in a year with 15 each got a few weeks mm -hmm. in between because things always happen you know yeah i mean you know t making a podcast like is quite time consuming yeah you know, as, as as you and i both know so like I've, I've not done as much as you i've only done four episodes and i i already had to have a break because i you know i i was so so busy over the winter with with performance stuff i just didn't have time to do it so i totally get it and i think yeah doing seasons makes sense especially like you around this time of the year it's quite good you can get record a bunch and then just release them gradually right like that's, yeah that's, that's the plan nice recording yeah. is fun and is the least time consuming yes thing but then everything after like you have to obviously edit it but like then it's quite easy because I just I use Premiere Pro. You can just export the video and then you can export the audio separately, but you don't need to re-edit anything. You just need to click a different button and do it again. Yeah. But then newsletters, social media. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Posting it thousands of times everywhere. You know, like replying to comments, inviting yeah. people. Like I feel like that's the hard part and the time consuming part. It's really hard. And I think it feels like well, whilst you're doing it in the moment it feels like oh I'm, I'm just putting this do i really need to put this post on instagram like will i get that many likes anyway sometimes you might sometimes you don't right it all depends on the algorithm it's like is it is it really doing anything but then i guess the thing is if you keep doing it in like five years time 
if you've been that consistent with all of it it all makes sense you know but it's just it's sometimes it's quite hard isn't it to be that future focused with it when it's all such yeah. a drag <laughs> yeah for me it's yeah. like i'm super hyped about all the conversations so yes. like as soon as i get off the call i normally can't sleep which i should mm -hmm. um i'm like inspired i just i'm you know i'm hungry like i'm getting really antsy now because obviously i have haven't have had a break of performing just because i was studying yeah. but i'm speaking with a lot of people that inspire me or that I perform with, like you or when yeah, yeah. was out, like just got released. Yeah. And I get really antsy because I'm like, I want to get back to performing. I need to be on stage. I need to see those people again. What am I doing here? <laughs> so yeah, like, definitely. I feel like it really drives me. But yeah, I think you really, for me, you have to bash film because it sneaks up on you. Like just, just somebody just needs to get sick and have a sore throat and not make a recording. And if you didn't have like a few episodes up front, you're just going to miss a week. And as soon as yeah, you totally. one week or like whatever your schedule is, because like it doesn't have to be, you know, like every Weekly, week, yeah. some people yeah. monthly or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like, I think it's good to be regular with those things. So people yeah. that kind of rely on you posting. I want to do the whole season completed in March, like complete filming it. And then I have time to edit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much do you edit each episode? Do you do a lot of editing? Do you cut them no. down or do you try to make it? I make pretty... it sound, I want, I like to make it sound good, but I like to keep yeah. it as natural as possible. The inspiring thing for me is that you really get, it's almost like a conversation. Like when you watch, um, you actually feel like the person's talking to you. Yes. That's how you feel I, like you're in the room, right? Yeah. With the people. Yeah. That's how I like to feel when I listen to a podcast. So I don't really yeah. like the highly polished, like over edited podcasts that much. Right. I prefer, I prefer like just people talking to me. That's just my Yeah, own. me too. I like that as yeah. well. So I, like I edit it as much as I have to, to make it sound good. Or if something goes wrong or, you know, but I don't edit it too much. Like I don't want it to be a bad product. I want to still, you know, it still represents me. So I want it to be, mm -hmm. you know, high quality uh, work, but I think the value is really in the conversation and yeah, I agree. with a guest. So I don't over edit it, but because podcasts are quite long, even if you do just a little bit of editing, just by watching it through three times, that's already the whole day gone. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. It takes, it, that's the issue. I, 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 I came up with this strategy of being like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to not, I'm not going to listen to it until I'm editing. Because if I listen, if I'm like, oh, I'm going to listen back to that and see what it was like, that's already, you know, if it's unedited, it could be like two hours, you know, two hours of, rec of recording, something like that. And then, yeah. So the editing part really does need to be thought out, doesn't it? Because otherwise you can really find yourself swallowing time with it. Um, but but it is really fun. And I, I guess I, I really get a sense of satisfaction when I post it. It's, it's, it's like out there, you know. Yeah. I listen to podcasts since I've since I was at school. You know, I, I really I started listening to them really early on when they just started coming out. I've always been a fan. Uh, yeah. I really love the medium, and so it feels nice to be doing it. Yeah, but, yeah. It's it's better that it's it's nice. It's a long conversation. Like most, like I don't think we would have an hour conversation in London. <laughs> you know, no. even if we do rehearsals together or like work or meet each other at a jam session. It's like five minutes at a time that we get to speak to each other. And yeah, that's a exactly. good conversation. You know, yeah. <laughs> if it's anything above 30 seconds in London, it's great. Yeah, 
it's, it's a, that's such a good point i hadn't thought about that and it's really sad isn't it like like i i feel uh i don't know maybe when i was i was a bit younger and i was like just going and hanging out with friends a bit more like in the evenings like i guess i now being a more like busy musician i'm working a lot in the evenings and stuff but before it would be uh you know i wouldn't be working so i'd go and hang out with mates and that would be where these like we'd have these long form conversations but we wouldn't call it a long form conversation we just call it hanging out you know <laughs> but but now but you're right like it doesn't happen so much you know so it is nice to 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 bring it out but but people have a lot of time like people have a lot of time commuting and doing the dishes and cleaning their house you know and whatever and then you I, I i certainly want to have something not all the time but a lot of the time i want to have something you know going that i can listen to so there's loads of there's loads of um time to consume this content right yeah you know? and for me it's like i have adhd i get right. super distracted when i have music on like in the background mm. i cannot i cannot clean my house and have music on because i'll just sit down and listen something right. about music captures you know yeah yeah too much to even function yeah. but podcast is right so like sometimes i'm like setting myself a timer i'm gonna clean my flat and i have whatever the podcast length is to accomplish it <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> i've done that i've done that with an, with an album actually before and that's quite good listen to an album whilst cleaning the house yeah i'm really bad like say i'm in a restaurant uh and there's some jazz on in a restaurant which sometimes happens and it's really good i'm just gonna be i i, I find it really hard to to concentrate with the person who's sitting across from me and talk to them because I should be like oh, do, 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 oh yeah you know like this thing. <laughs> so I get easily distracted but I also get easily distracted by people's conversations I find if if I'm in a room where uh you know like say if we if we're in a restaurant just having this conversation but there's like a table there and a table there and they're talking to each other I'll I'll be hearing those conversations and finding it really hard to focus on what we're saying to each other you know mm like it's not intentional i just i can't help it it's really yeah. difficult do you yeah. write your own lyrics yes i do maybe that's why because you you do words as well <laughs> maybe maybe i'm trying to get inspiration uh, one of my initial fears of starting a podcast was me thinking you need like a huge amount of equipment and then during the pandemic oh, yeah. i got bored and i started with my laptop and mm -hmm. nothing else um, yes. Did you start off with any specific plan, equipment, or any of that? Yeah, so I did have, which actually, I, I, I'm really sorry. I mean, I'm, I should be using my microphone, but I'm just talking through my laptop today. I apologize, but I have, because I'd already done like recording stuff and things like yeah. that. Um, I have like some gear that I can record with. So I have a couple of microphones. I have a, an interface which connects the microphones to the computer so I can record into the computer um that's it really other than that i didn't have anything else just my laptop and some microphones that i already had mm -hmm. uh and, oh oh and and i started filming as well with a with a because i had the conversations actually in the room together with the oh. first the first two anyway the first two podcasts are you know i'm in the same room as my guests right so i had two microphones set up and my phone filming the conversation so i had a few clips because one of the other things we do at the end if i have a musician guest on is we'll do a, a duo kind of little performance 
yeah and then have like it at the end of the podcast and then also film that and put it up on youtube as well uh, which is really nice but again it's like even more work for editing you know because it's like editing video and audio so i really like that idea i'm gonna try and keep doing it we'll see how sustainable it is but um yeah so th so that's it really other than that i didn't have anything else but so, do, do you have any microphones or anything like that at the moment nope do you want do you do you want to get set up like that because if you want we can talk about that later and i can tell you what i use okay yeah um, yeah i yeah. think eventually i want to improve but because i just yeah. started it as like a little lockdown project really yeah usually. i don't I think, think it's necessary you know yeah i think yeah. um i think now going into audio and because the first season was only on youtube for me and yes. only this season, I'm starting to put it on, um, on like, um, I use Anchor. I don't know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. So um, now I think if it's audio only, it's more important to have better sound quality than I think people tolerate on YouTube when they can also watch it. They, they tolerate sound a bit better, but I definitely want to speak about it because I've been thinking about it because yeah. I also want to uh, set up my tab floor. With yeah. I want to get a bunch of mics like people keep on telling me I need a contact mic and I guess I want to okay. have a contact mic just to have it but I prefer condensers I want to try a, a synchronized overhead drum mm. condenser but just on like low stance okay yeah that'd be cool In my imagination that works out because tap the pitch is not that low it's not as low as tap dancers always think it is mm -hmm. so no, I it's quite it's not low I don't think no yeah. Yeah, no musician ever thinks it's slow, but I think tap dancer, <laughs> we, we, we imagine a bass drum sound when we drop our heels because it's like do, do, like, and in your body, right, 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 it's quite right. heavy. But I think realistically, it's just not that low. So, yeah, it's, it's still, like, it's still like mm, a bit of metal knocking on wood, isn't it? So, yeah. You know, so I think, like but I think yeah. condenser and also because of the floor, some sound technicians have been like, yeah, it doesn't, it's hard to balance because when you move around on the board, mm -hmm. um, it sounds different. So okay. that's why I thought the, the synchronized one would work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's my, my next project is to get a, like a bunch of mics. Yeah, the, I was going to say, I listen to a few podcasts that are just audio only and they're very good and they don't use microphones. They just do right. it on Zoom like we're doing right now. I so I mean, yeah, it's good, but I, 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 I feel actually people have a pretty good tolerance for the audio just in general, you know, as long as it's audible. And now with, with the Zoom thing, we're so used to having conversations with other people on Zoom and on Skype and everything anyway, that I think, I think we're just kind of used to it, so. I like Zoom meetings because I can connect to the whole world via my, and before the pandemic, it wasn't like that. It's not like I constantly had meetings with people across no. the whole world. Like, you know, like, yeah, it wasn't normal, was it? Yeah, it's um, it's very it, it kind of made, shrunk the world a little bit. Yeah, so I'm absolutely. not mad. I mean, obviously, it's it's not a replacement for hanging out with people, but I think it helped. No, but it helped. I mean, it helped in the pandemic a lot, didn't it? Yeah. You know, just to be able to see people. I mean, I mean, for me, like all, I was able to teach all of my piano lessons on Zoom. So I was able to have some, still have some income, which was great, you know, and I still have students now that are just on Zoom only. Yeah. So that's really cool to be able to do that.
you know it means you can work from anywhere technically yeah so guys if you want piano lessons with christian <laughs> yeah hit him up yeah yeah drop me a drop me a message dm slide into my dms the next thing i want to question you about or yes. like ask you about i just found out you studied classical piano ah oh i didn't study classical piano actually i mean i guess i sort of did in as much as i did like the classical grades and stuff like that but yeah no at university i did i did like a, a academic music degree so it was like more composition and theory and a few essays and things like that but it was a mostly classical course um actually it was quite a good course because I, i studied at king's college london and they had this little connection with the royal academy of music so you could get your instrumental lessons there oh. which meant i actually was able to get jazz piano lessons so i did because i'm a jazz pianist really so i was actually getting jazz piano lessons whilst i was at uni which was really helpful because i didn't i thought i could play jazz piano when i moved to london and then I realized pretty quickly that I didn't really know anything. I didn't know what I was doing at all, you know. Uh, so I had lessons for three years with a great piano player who was, I believe he was a master's student at the time, or he'd just done his master's at the academy called Hugh White. And he yeah. just showed me the ropes, kind of just showed me everything I needed, which was really good. Um, so yeah, at, at uni, it was more like composition, studying, how to like how to compose in the style of Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and Debussy all these different composers from different eras um and then writing your own composition uh free kind of like more modern style you know and then some essays like I studied I studied the 1950s avant-garde like people like Stockhausen and um yeah. Boulez um, and people like that that was really fun really weird stuff that I really enjoyed um, but also I got to go and study uh, a few modules at SOAS, you know, SOAS, yeah. the university there. So I did Cuban music for a term, which I really enjoyed because I, I love Cuban music. Can you explain SOAS for the listeners? Because they don't know it. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So SOAS is a, a, it's, it's a university part of the University of London, and it stands for School of Oriental and African Studies, which, I mean, basically all, all of their courses are just sort of uh focused on i guess non-european subjects you know non-european issues so the music i mean I, i don't know if there's some european stuff but like the music department you'd be learning if you studied music at soas you'd be learning about cuban music you'd be learning about indian music uh middle eastern music you know stuff like that which which is really awesome um and i believe all of their others like if you study law there it might be uh focused on law in other 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 parts of the world other than europe and you know yeah. basically like white mm. white white western the western world uh, it's a really cool place um that was wicked that was really fun so yeah that's what i did classical music wise um yeah. and it was really good you know it it gave me some really good fundamentals that i can now use in like my piano playing and production work and arranging mm -hmm. You know, like I know how to write for strings and things like that quite easily. Yeah. So, you know, that, that stuff's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So, like, did you do you think you struggled starting to work as a jazz pianist because you were more kind of from like this more classical music degree? Or did no, I, I don't think I did 
like not not in that way i think i i didn't i wouldn't say i struggled but i would say like uh it took me a few years to get working regularly as a jazz pianist because like i said when i moved to london and started at uni I didn't, I, was, I didn't really know much about jazz piano really, even though I thought I did, I didn't really know much at all. So by the time I finished university, I still had a few more years of like hard practicing to do before I was kind of ready to be gigging regularly, I guess. So uh, for my first few years after I graduated, I was mostly like teaching piano, mm. doing, the odd, doing the odd gig here and there and just practicing a lot, uh, absolute shitload. Um, because yeah i needed to to get to get there obviously i still need to practice and stuff but now i'm at a point where i can work with what i've got as well so yeah but it it, it wasn't hard because i was coming from a classical background because actually i always listened to loads of jazz and the kind of music i was playing a lot at school I, you know, I was playing jazz. It's just like I hadn't done, hadn't gone very in depth into like jazz theory and how how jazz works and like stuff like that. You know, like my teacher was was great. He kind of showed me what he knew. Um, but when I got to London, I realized there was like a hell of a lot more to it. You know, so yeah, yeah. I don't think it really. I don't think it. If anything, it helped because there's no. I don't, I don't think of, there is, there's a difference in, you know, culture and history between the two musics, but there's lots of connections as well. You know, there's lots of things that make all, all types of music connected. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think, how was it for you to establish your network on the scene? Um, it was, I guess it was quite, I guess it was quite slow. I don't know if it was slow. It, it, it just, I guess it was quite organic, I would say, you know, like I, I started, I was practicing on my own and then I started going to jam sessions. And, you know, I had a few friends from uni who I was already playing music with and they were also getting into doing more jazz stuff too, you know? So I would meet people that they were playing with or I would meet people at jam sessions or meet people on gigs. And then as I got better, gradually people would start asking me to play with them, you know? Or I would ask them if they wanted to play and they would say yes. And, and slowly I would build up, I sort of slowly built up a network that way, but it didn't, it didn't really feel like that at the time. It just felt like I was meeting people, making new friends and asking to play, but I guess it, it turns into a network, right? You know, and then, but, but most of it, like the people who I play with regularly now, um, most of it was through friends or friends of friends, you know, yes. or meeting them on a gig. That's kind of how it would work yeah. together. Yeah. Um, well, I guess now I'm at a stage where like, because I know enough people on the jazz scene in London, you know, I have lots of people's numbers who I maybe haven't even met yet, you know, because <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I'll see if that person's free for a gig because yeah. whoever isn't. And so then I kind of at the stage now where <laughs> I can get people's phone numbers, but I can't, I don't necessarily know them yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever called someone for a gig and then he showed up and you didn't recognize who it was. I'm like, who are you? Oh, I'm the bass player. That's right. You're the bass player. Has that ever happened? I, I've, I've definitely had, like, I've definitely booked a musician before that I've never met. That, uh -huh. That's been like off of a recommendation. Like, um, 
usually because like the person it's a very short notice the person who i was originally booked can't do it you know and they and they find somebody um like the last person i had was a sax player you know who i'd never met before but i knew it was him because he had a saxophone so it was luckily i could i was able to deduce that that was probably the guy who i needed to say hello to you know so yeah um but yeah no it, it doesn't happen too often usually it's people i've met before yeah and then i mean if i'm booked on somebody else's gig though it can happen all the time like you know like if if i do a gig for someone else i might not know anybody else on, on it yeah. yeah so that's really interesting because i think a lot of people don't realize how many gigs musicians <laughs> do and also how flexible you have to be because yeah one day yeah, yeah. you have to you never meet this guy you show up because you're subbing in for one of your friends because he's got like COVID at the moment, probably most likely. And then you've got to play somebody's music. You've never seen the guy. You might have not listened to his music thoroughly. Like, you know, maybe yeah, not totally. the way to the gig. And the next day you play something else, then you sit, produce somebody else's music. And then you, you know, you, know, you have to be very versatile. Yeah. How do you do it? Uh, well, I think <laughs> it's, that's really funny. I think that's like almost, uh, musicians dirty little secret sometimes you know like you go to a, a gig and and you you might be playing with people you've literally never played with before and it all goes well and after the gig you know people come up to you from the audience they're like oh that was fantastic like you guys you know do you play together often like how long have you been playing together all this sort of thing is just assuming that you're this band that rehearses every every week you know and and, and you, we met you you met when you were in primary school and you know what I mean and it's often it's not the case but I think we as a it's I've never had this I've literally actually almost I don't think I've ever had this conversation with a musician but we always say like oh yeah yeah we played together before of course because almost we feel like bad to, we don't want to say like yeah actually I've never met these people before in my life you know but I think I have said it once or twice thinking about it and people have been quite impressed but I think there's also a risk of being like what do you mean you've never you've never played together you never rehearsed especially if you're being paid quite handsomely for what you're doing which you know you you definitely don't want to let people know that you never met the other musicians before but <laughs> it's quite funny but like how do we how do we do it is that was your actual question wasn't it um well I guess with with jazz music not just jazz music like any type of music it's like a language isn't it so it's like how do you and I have a conversation right now you know how do we do it it's because we've been doing it our whole lives like talking and mm. we can we can just chat right uh, obviously we, we know each other already but but even if we didn't know each other already I think we would be able to have a good conversation you know mm. um, because we're like-minded people and we're both artists and you know talkative I think it would just be easy and it's kind of the same with with the music right we're both jazz musicians we've been playing the music for a long time we know a lot of the same songs we've listened to a lot of the same uh people you know it's really important we probably have the same favorite albums you know stuff like that right so yeah. so there's so much of that you can just in instantly start talking to each other through the music um, yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you'll show up on a gig and there's like charts already as well. Like if it's something where it's all written out, then you just read, you just read the music. But if it, if it's, if there's no charts, I think it, it really comes from that being able to having lots of experience, having spoken the music for a long time. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's also usually really obvious when somebody comes in who isn't as experienced, 
you know, like, cause that can happen sometimes where, you know, you might get a, I've, I've been in this situation where, you know, you play in a band and it's like people haven't met before and maybe three out of the four people are all a bit older and a bit more experienced. And then one of them might be like a first year college student, you know, like just, just, just moved to London, just started playing at the Guildhall or something mm. like that. And of course they're good and they're like technically very good. Um, and they will grow into being a very like competent musician, but sometimes they're just not that used to just being thrown in mm-hmm. and playing, playing. And I've, I, I've been there too, you know, so like, you just, you just get better at it the more you do it. Yeah. I think everybody had to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I started going to jam sessions as a yeah. tap dancer, I had no clue. Like I kept right. lost. So I was like, just completely didn't know what was going on. Just whenever, I hope, hopefully the audience would clap at the end of the course. So, um, <laughs> so I know when to like stop, but I got myself in the shit too doing that. Like one time I called right. Karen too fast. Then I overran the chorus. Oh, yeah. Then I got my legs were cooked at that point because it was already too fast. I had already done like three choruses because I couldn't find this, the place to stop. Then like, you know, like I kept on dragging and I'm like, oh shit, I'm dragging, shit, I'm dragging. And the drama was already filling in because I couldn't like do it anymore. And yeah. you know, it's like, but I think, I feel like the experienced musicians will always, they notice it straight away and they'll save your ass because- Yeah, that's the point, exactly. Yeah. That's how it should be, yeah. But yeah. I think we met, was did you play for tap dancers before I showed up? Um, if I had, I hadn't played for many. You would have been one of the first ones for sure. Cause the only place I really played for tap dancers was at the effort, at the jam that Loren Dalrymple runs, which is yeah. where we met, you know. That's where, yeah. Um, which unfortunately isn't happening anymore. She's, but but Loren has moved on to other places, so the jam is still happening. Just not happening at the effort anymore. It's so um, sad. It was on how long? Twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty years. It it it, it could have continued, but it, unfortunately, it didn't for reasons we don't need to go into. But you know, yeah. needless to say, Loren is. Um, doing just fine and and is running still running great gigs in london so yeah nothing can stop the run no exactly (laughs) so so they've they've moved to fridays like actually you should give her a follow as well on instagram soft music s-o-double-f because she runs loads of great jam sessions they're really good jam sessions like they're the right kind of jam session like i think there's two kind of jam sessions well there's actually three kind of jam sessions there's the kind of jam session where it's kind of run by pe- people who are very nice, but maybe amateur amateur musicians. So the, the overall quality is just going to be quite low. And that's fine. It's a load of fun, but you might not learn that much. Then there's the jam session that's run by good musicians, but they're assholes, <laughs> you know? So it's a bit of a cliquey thing and you go there and if you're not cool or if you don't know a song or something, they're like a bit of a dick to you. That exists, unfortunately. There's the third one, which is a good one, where you you it's run by like professional musicians, but also they understand that a jam is a, somewhere that you know uh, people can come to hone their craft, and it's a safe space where people can get get it wrong, you know, and it's okay. Or like you like you said, count in caravans too fast, and like have that experience, you know, then you'll know. Or like even sometimes I might even say to somebody like, actually, I think that's going to be too fast, you know. Yeah. Uh, and 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 they might be like no it's fine and then you go okay 
it'll be fine for me are you sure it'll be fine for you you know <laughs> but like you have to have those experiences right like you totally have to crash and burn like in order to get better and that keeps you know that always continues happening but yeah like a, you, jam sessions are really important to have that um space for, for musicians the one that i went to a lot was actually one at the toulouse le trek you know that venue yeah i just i just did london jazz festival there I mean, oh awesome yeah yeah it's such a nice place it's, I, it's really nice yeah I, I never realized like how because i there's this piano bar floor right yeah. where it's like a piano and yeah like a few tables but upstairs is like a nice little the place. jazz club yeah. yeah yeah the only place i know with white pianos right well they, they now have a black piano up top but they used to have only white pianos you know so the jam was originally on that piano bar floor I don't think maybe they didn't even use the top floor at the beginning. I don't know because I, I really started going a long time ago, like maybe like nine, eight, eight or nine years ago, something like that. Maybe eight years ago. Um, and back then, the jam was run by a guy called Jason Lyon, uh, and he was just really nice. Like he would really support younger musicians, and they would have a guest uh, come and like it would be bass drums, piano was the trio, and they would have a guest. Uh, like horn player come every week so you'd get a chance to maybe play with some people who were quite you know a lot older and very established on the scene um but that that was just the jam session first of all it was local to me i think it was on a monday night so it was quite easy for me to get to and i didn't usually have things on so i, I went there basically every week and that was where i was able to play and yeah. make those mistakes you know uh, and then like listen to myself, record it, go home, try and work on what I was doing. Um, th that jam session ended a few years ago, but now there's another one run by a friend of mine called Andrea Rinciari, who's Rinciari, who is uh, doing it on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. So Tuesday nights, there's another jam session there. And that's also going to be very welcoming. It's also at Toulouse? Yeah, also at Toulouse upstairs. So that's definitely worth going to. I've I've been once. I need to go more. I'm going to try and go. Okay. Yeah. I actually want to start going out and playing at jams more again because I just have the lockdown's been so you know so rubbish and so long. Obviously, it's over now, but I don't know. I still feel like I miss getting out and playing. So I'm, I need to yeah. do more of that. The good thing about jam sessions is that you you play with different people and you only play like one tune but you, you you meet new people you hear what other people play um you yeah. know like i go through phases of going through to like thousands of jam sessions or none like yes me too yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah sometimes it sometimes you just need a bit of a rest from it but sometimes you need to focus on like it's, i feel like sometimes when i work on projects very that really demand a lot of energy and a lot of focus i kind of never make it to jam sessions because i'm so in a different headspace yeah that sometimes i'm like i can't really do a stand like you know even if it's just a standard like mm -hmm. i don't know take the entry I, I just cannot do take it i can't i don't have the energy you know because you yeah. especially because i do a lot of multimedia projects they're very avant-garde and i'm like i've just spent all day doing crazy <laughs> projector and like <laughs> You know, but um, yeah, but well, definitely um, come. I think I've seen you at Ronnie's too. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I used to go to the Lake Show sometimes and play there. Back when 
I, d- I don't know what, because post lockdown, they've changed it a bit. Um, they're still doing late shows, but it used to be ho- on Mondays and Tuesday nights. It used to be hosted by Alex Garnett, sax player. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but now I don't think he's doing it anymore. Oh, really? um, and I, th- I think they've, ch- I, I think they might've changed it a bit. So they've got like a, a load of monthly hosts. I'm not sure if they're really doing that jam thing that they used to do on the Monday and Tuesdays. Yeah, because it's a bit of a shame if they're not, because it was really great. But it was great. And it was the only yeah. space in London that really did a late yeah. anything. Like it was but, kind of like if you think about gigging musicians, the only place you can go was Ronnie's after Yeah, after your gig, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know. They might it might still be happening. I'm just not sure, but I have a feeling it's not. Um I'm not sure. But actually if it's not, I- hopefully it will again soon the Sorry, the, fun fact the reason i joined the musicians union initially yeah. was because oh, yeah. of the free entry. Free. <laughs> yeah yeah free entry yeah, yeah um, i i saw i remember seeing you at ronnie's for the kenny Barron gig kenny Barron and yeah i love him i think he was there with his um with the trio the original he was there with jonathan blake and um Yoshi. dave holland oh dave holland that was piano trio festival yeah 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 he's great that was awesome. But actually, like Kenny Barron grew up uh, in Philadelphia when they used to do like you know residencies. So you used to not you used to not do what you do today so much is that you go from like completely different things every single day of the week. You had like one week, two week at the same venue with the same band playing more or less the same material if you choose so. Yes. So I think there was like a certain type of growth happening during yes. the residency that now it's, it's really sad to... yeah it's really sad that doesn't still happen i think mm. i think a lot of bands really benefited a lot from that whole scene and it, it used to be it used to be like that in um, in england as well i believe um there is one uh gig that i do which is like a six six night residency still it's mm. at the it's a brasserie zadel which is a french restaurant in piccadilly circus like they book a band for the whole six nights which is really fun but it is like it's not like original music it's like you know you're playing standards mm-hmm. for the diners it's really fun and you can play pretty you can play straight ahead jazz pretty much however you want to but that means you're still playing like within a sort of confine of straight ahead jazz you know so it's i mean it'd be a dream to have like an original project where you're just free to play whatever you want however you want for a week or two weeks something like that you know that would yeah. be awesome yeah but it's pretty rare now i just i wonder even like financially whether it really works anymore you know yeah because it's i think we're really overexposed these days to newness yeah i think a lot of it's got to do with like i say financially like they used to have to do that because there was no you know you didn't have recorded music it wasn't so easy to just play, play stuff on spotify through speakers whereas now you know like now you can pay nine nine ninety nine a month rather than pay a band every night. You know, unfortunately, yeah. that's a lot of venues make that decision, which I get. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to earn money if you like own a restaurant or own a bar or whatever. Like, they're not most of them are not making a huge profit, right? So yeah. it's difficult for everyone, but it would be nice to have those kind of longer residencies for sure. Yeah. I feel like that's why I always I, I really try to always buy a drink or something whenever I go to jam sessions. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of musicians going there and asking for tap water. Yeah, and, and Britain has this culture of tap water, and I don't think yeah. people actually benefit from it in the long term because, yes, you get free water, but like in Germany, for example, it's you don't ask for tap water. Like right. if you, maybe if you have to take like an aspirin, you ask like, oh, sorry, can I have some tap water? I've got to take some medication. But you normally pay for water, which results right. in every kind of the whole experience um, being more rounded because I feel like here they already price the food or price the tickets with the thought in mind that people will be asking for tap water. So you're kind of paying for the drink yeah. you have. Yeah, that's true. Like, it, 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 in a way, it inflates the prices a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think in Germany, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in Germany, like food and drink is a, a little bit cheaper. I, I feel like it's cheaper. Really? I mean, it depends also where I you think go. It is. But I feel like you get a meal with drinks for the same price as you get a meal in yeah, I think so. I think just Germany, f from my experience, I haven't been there for quite a few years, but I've spent quite a lot of time in Germany and like it just felt like cost of living in general is just a little bit more uh, a little bit lower it's a bit easier to just like survive mm. there but i think london but, is also very extreme i think the, yeah that's true i think London's wages versus like you know your income versus living expenses versus are a bit yeah. more balanced in germany than they are in britain because i feel like britain not only musicians and you know artists and stuff but in general people earn less than in germany teachers yeah. you know all that kind of jobs you don't really earn that much money and then you have kind of very highly priced living costs like in germany it's not very common for 40 year olds to live in flat shares whereas in london i feel like everyone lives in a flat share. yeah yeah it's hard to afford anything else unless you you've saved for the last 20 years or something like that Unless you only work for your apartment, but then yeah. you're a slave to your apartment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but it's a bit different in Germany, isn't it? I think it's a it's a good model there. Yeah. But then, how is it to live as an artist? And because I know, like, I've spoken to some. Obviously, like, there's really good funding for the arts in Germany. Yeah. Uh, but I've spoken to some jazz musicians from Germany who've said it's really hard to make a living as a jazz musician, and that's why they came to London. So I, I don't know, like. I you think you have less of this. The reason I came to London, so I never worked in Germany because I came to London when I was 21. So okay. all my professional career was in London. I just yeah. went back for like a few, like I had a residency for a month in Berlin and then like a few gigs here and there. But it was never like, you know, it was never that I was trying to sustain myself as an artist in Germany. Mm. I think it very much depends where you live. Munich has seven full-time big bands. That's right, yeah. So Berlin has a lot of creative artsy stuff, but they don't earn so much for their, uh, you know, gigs because it's more creative. It's more like underground, more mm -hmm. grassroots. But then there's no money in it, whereas Munich yeah. has money, but then you're slave to kind of play what they want. What the what the people in Munich stuff. want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 sure. But I can't really. That's all. I mean, that's kind of how it is everywhere, isn't it? It's yeah. like you got you got to do a bit of both. You know, I have to do a bit of both to kind of like make it all work. Yeah, I think yeah. funding wise, it's it's slightly different than in the UK because I have the feeling the main funding body in the UK is Arts Council. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And in so, Germany, we have no Arts Council. We have a Ministry of Culture, but that's per state. Yeah, right. It's all it's all done in the state, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So a lot of time your location kind of depends mm -hmm. and then you kind of apply to your state. So if you're Munich, the uh, Cultus Ministry of Bavaria will be, but there's there's grants. I, I just can't say how easy it is to get them or, no. or you know, uh, stuff like that. But I was going to ask you about it because finance is always an issue. And I refuse to believe that artists have to be, you know, struggling poor peasants and yeah. I feel like this is almost like kind of masochist, um, romantic self view some artists have is that they have to struggle or like that it's normal yeah. to struggle. But like, how, uh, how do you approach, let's say, funding applications, grants, fundraising, sponsorships, any of that kind of stuff? Um, first of all, I totally agree with what you said. I think some artists feel like that's just how it has to be, you know? So they just decide that they can't make any money and then you never will if you, if you decide that, you know? But I mean, so to answer your first question, I've never done a funding application in my life, so. Really? I, I, yeah, really, I've never done wow. I, I'm actually, I'm actually about to start doing some for the first time um, soon, so. I, I don't know, I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know some other people that have done a lot, like somebody you, if you want to talk to about, if you want to talk about funding applications, like Alex, Hitch Alex Hitchcock, the guy who was the second guest on my podcast, he's done quite a lot. He's done pretty well with getting funding for things sometimes. Um, okay. So yeah, he's a good person to talk to, but yeah, I've never done one. So, uh, but in terms of just like fundraising, you know, so I, uh, I mean, I, I, I think you have to, as a musician, be willing to have various different income streams, right? So I make money from teaching piano or teaching, you know, music. All, that's all one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I, I did do a bit of teaching in a school for a while, but for a few years, but I, that wasn't for me. I prefer being like one-on-one. -on -one private because there you get you get to set your own rates as well it's a bit more flexible um and i would say to uh i would say to musicians and artists if you're going to do private teaching like don't don't price yourself down too low you know like it's okay to uh charge a decent hourly rate like look at what other people in different in other fields charge per hour you know for their time like for example a personal trainer or or um, like a sports coach, you know, like, or, I mean, lawyer is crazy. They charge loads of per hour, you know, but I think, I think it's good to like, like, for example, personal trainers, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uncommon for a personal trainer to be charging 80 or 90 pounds an hour per session, something like that, right? And you would see that personal trainer every week. I can't, I, I don't think of, I can't think of many music teachers that charge that much, you know? I mean, I don't charge that much either, just to put it out there, but <laughs> like, you know, that's just to give you some perspective on like how, you know, it shouldn't be 15 pounds an hour, you know? Yeah. It shouldn't be, it should be going up higher. So that's one thing is, and, and that's an issue I think that you could just apply to all the aspects of money making for musicians. Don't price yourself low. So like uh, the, another way I, obviously I, so I make money from teaching, I make money from gigs. Mm -hmm. And some gigs I might make like 50 quid and other ones I might make 
like 500 you know it depends on what it is but i'll do like private gigs like functions and stuff like that and those are definitely the ones that pay better because you're providing a service that like you are doing you're playing in a certain way for people you know you're not necessarily doing your own original stuff like i have done original stuff in a like paid function setting before and that's obviously awesome mm -hmm. but that's that's not as common but in that situation you you just need to charge a lot you know you need to charge what you're worth um so uh, that's my take on it i guess like uh, also like production stuff like i'm, I'm making money from producing you know yeah. like okay it's good to do stuff for free for people especially to get started but if somebody approaches you and says oh, i heard your you know i heard your song that you produced for someone i really like it would you would you do a track for me then you have to charge for it you know and you have to think how many hours am i going to be doing this for you know and how many hours is it going to take how many hours have i put into honing this craft to be able to get to the point where i can actually do this you know like yeah. i'm not going to say like what number you should come up with but just don't um don't de undervalue yourself as, as an artist you know because there's other people who won't there's other people like there's plenty of musicians who make a shitload of money you know doing stuff they really are mm -hmm. and they just are the ones that figure out that they shouldn't price themselves down from mm. stuff so so yeah i guess that's that's kind of how i feel about it like and then at the same time that means i have absolutely no gripes about doing a gig for free if it's something i want to do yeah. you know if it's with a like with friends it's an original project and i really like their music but it's just getting off the ground i'll do it for free i'll rehearse for free i'll i, yeah. I won't take a fee you know so i have no problem doing that it's just like it's got to be the right thing you know if you're being asked to play in a hotel for three hours and they're gonna give you 70 quid that's not right you know yeah. but maybe if you're playing for an original project and they're offering you less than that that's fine it depends on the context right you know so yeah does that sort of answer i mean yeah. it's not really about funding but it's about making money right making a living. Yeah. like I, i'm not a poor musician like i'm not rich but i make i don't i'm not scraping by i'm doing okay you know i'm com like comfortable enough. yeah it's the only I mean, instrument behind <laughs> yeah, yeah right like lockdown lockdown was difficult of course you know yeah. that was a bit more of a a bit of a scrape but yeah Thank you so much for listening to this episode of To Be An Artist with Christian Pryor. This was only part one of the conversation and part two will be released next week. Please like, comment and subscribe if you're listening to this content on YouTube or if you're listening to To Be An Artist on any other podcast platform, please leave us a five star review and recommend us to your friends.